Welcome to Leadership in the Digital Age with Professor Vijay Gurbaksani, Director of the Center for Digital Transformation at the Paul Mirage School of Business at UC Irvine. Join us for thought-provoking conversations with executives on the forefront of digital transformation. Welcome, Ben. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. Thanks, Vijay. Thanks for having us. That was a really good uh, setup that we had this morning. It was great to hear from uh, two retailers and the board of director panel. And, and to the audience, um, you know, uh, as we planned for the, sort of the virtual version of the physical conference, uh, many of the speakers, or pretty much all of them, uh, agreed to come. Of course, we changed sort of what we were going to talk about. But the one new session that we did add for, the, for this event was a, a session on digital health and in particular the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, it's not surprising, of course, that all of us care deeply about vaccine development and about therapies for COVID-19. Um, and there's a lot at stake here, and it's sort of a marvel. Uh, sort of, a, I, I marvel at sort of the innovation shown by the pharmaceutical industry that oftentimes uh, bears the brunt of a lot of criticism. But I think this is sort of where they really sort of show... Uh, how effective we are in this country at research and development and things like that. Um, so with that, uh, Greg, let, let, I'll let you introduce yourself and the company you work for, IQVIA. Um, if you could take it away, Greg. Sure. My name is Greg Plant. I'm part of IQVIA. I lead technology uh, for our digital transformation team that works with our clients around how to use the technologies that we've brought to market, uh, how to evolve new technologies, things that aren't in our portfolio. And it's actually where I spend most of my time and, and where Ben and I are working together. Uh, and then lastly, uh, changes in our business model. So as we as we look at our clients and, okay, so and our, tell us a little uh, bit about you. For, things change. Tell us I'm a little bit about IQVIA more broadly. <clears throat> uh, broadly, IQVIA is the result of a merger back in 2016. Uh, that merger was between Quintiles, largest CRO, a contract research organization for pharma, uh, as well as medical devices. Uh, IMS, which was the largest uh, service provider inside the commercial space, largely data and analytic services. And where we work together and, and uh, we're customers of one another, we're in the, in the midpoint of that. The world, uh, data, and uh, essentially, how are things going throughout the world? What disease states, where are they, how are they... How do they work? How are treatments effective? Uh, and bringing all that together under one umbrella uh, to become a human data science company, largely to uh, find new ways to treat disease, work with our customers around exactly those problems. Uh, just to the moderators, we're having a little bit of trouble with Greg's audio, so if you could pay attention to that, that'd be great. Um, hey, Ben, uh, take it away. Tell us a little bit about Ledger Domain and sort of <clears throat> your vision, the problems you're trying to address. Thank you. So we're at uh, Ledger Domain, and we're focused on blockchain-based solutions for enterprises to collaborate amongst each other. So it's enterprise-class solutions sitting on top of open-source standards. We focus on compliance and supply chain, and so that really revolves around very uh, complicated supply chains that high-value products that you sort of track through to the end, and you want to provide track, trace, assurance, and auditability. 
That's fantastic. So we have sort of two really interesting companies represented. Uh, so let's switch to sort of the broad, uh, sort of an overall perspective. So, you know, healthcare is an industry where we really, as sort of uh, American citizens, consumers, patients, want everyone to win. You know, it's it's in in some other industries we may be sort of less concerned about whether company A wins or company B wins, but here clearly. This is a huge sort of system. It's that there's drug companies, there's providers, the patients. It's an ecosystem. Um, and one of the things we would all like to see is sort of uh, a rapid sort of acceleration of how this entire sector performs. So, Ben, if you could sort of talk a little bit about how do we build digital solutions uh, for the sector as opposed to just specific companies? How do we improve the welfare of Americans, I guess, through health, through better health? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a combination of things that that is driving this. Obviously, COVID is accelerating it. But essentially, for many people, it starts with some open standards at the bottom. It has an API later where you're having application interfaces that people agree on. And then you're talking about great data science. Mm -hmm. And great data science has been part of areas like Wall Street for a long time but now it's being pushed across every other vertical. And so I think what we're seeing now is the hard part is just getting everybody together in the same quote unquote Zoom room to get some alignment around what we're gonna do and getting frenemies to set aside certain differences and lock in to try to push the ball forward. And obviously, as we said, COVID's a big accelerator for this. And obviously, programs like yours are also helpful in getting people together to make these sorts of moves forward. Well, thank you, Ben. And in fact, you know, sort of the merger of uh, IQVIA and IMS Health speaks to sort of the importance of data science in healthcare broadly, but also in clinical trials uh, specifically, because I know patient recruitment and sort of digital monitoring of these trials is, is, a, is a piece of the acceleration. Um, Greg, you know, given sort of that, you know, what we heard from Ben, collaboration is essential to the success of the sector. But we also have healthcare is one of the more fragmented industries there is, uh, and it's also extraordinarily complex. How do we enable collaboration in a sector that's this fragmented and this complex? There's a, a bunch of different ways that we do it, but the easiest thing we do, uh, quite honestly, is focus around a trial or a problem. Okay. Uh, and establish uh, capabilities around those. Uh, in the case of some of the things that, that Ben and I have been doing together, uh, largely that's how do we uh, produce a supply chain for that individual trial. So, for instance, one of the ones that we're, we're starting to do planning around right now is a vaccine trial. Happens to be a different coronavirus, not, uh, not the particular one we talk about every day these days. Uh, but very focused around five different suppliers, whether it be test kits or drug supply or things for the sites, and build a, a coalition around that and build a set of technologies that can support distribution and understanding of inventory across all of those different uh, pieces and do that globally. In this particular instance, we're looking at something that's likely to start in Japan, uh, mm -hmm. spread out to North America and parts of South America. And that, that group of folks uh, becomes a coalition Yep. And that coalition tends to be more persistent. It tends to last past the life of the trial, but it gives us something to start with. Okay. So, so Greg, I'm going to stay with you for this one. Uh, you know, IQVIA has a fairly unique purchase. Like you mentioned, it's the largest CRO. 
in at any given point in time, as I said in my opening, you're running hundreds, if not thousands, of trials uh, that are global, uh, that are certainly all over the country and involves typically people going to research sites. One of the things I understand is the U.S. is quite different from the rest of the world where clinical trial sites tend to be uh, focused on clinical trials. In other countries, I hear they tend to be more physician sites who also happen to do clinical trials. Um, how is COVID-19 sort of transforming drug development broadly? And what is, how do we use technology? Because this a lot of this conference is about acceleration because we see that the pandemic is accelerating a lot of things beyond drug development. So how do we get a better, more efficient, faster drug development process? I, I think there's, there's a, a number of things that COVID has taught us and continues to teach us. But I think what it most does is drive some of the things that we considered innovative before. They consider uh, it shifted, uh, it's, it's driven us toward things that we considered innovative before. Not it. Uh, so as we drive toward decentralized or virtual trials, as we drive toward patients being able to be served at their home rather than from a trial site, uh, being able to ship product directly to them, being able to recruit patients without them going to a trial site. All of those things we would have considered very, very innovative a year ago and now are becoming the norm. So it's, what's become more important for us is the work that we do with patient registries, the work that we do with patient advocacy groups, the work that we do with charitable institutions, all start, starts to feed trials as well, which it always did before, but it's much more direct today. Yeah, and, and you know, that's one of the things that gets lost in some of these discussions because we focus on the cool hip parts of digital transformation. And I think what you're alluding to is there's a lot of building blocks about digitizing the core processes, about building sort of the networks and the systems that you need. I don't mean technical networks, I mean the social, the sort of the community networks or whatever the case might be, on mm -hmm. top of which you then sort of leverage the digital solutions. And I think it's important to recognize, you know, because when you talk about finding the racing line, a lot of it is what do you do now when business in, in your industry is probably growing, but in other industries may be flat. This is the time to sort of invest in the capabilities that you will need to accelerate to the curve. And I think that's a great answer. Um, talk, uh, Ben, I'm going to switch to you now. Let's talk a little bit about virtual trials, too, and then I'll get to your sort of question. What do you see from where I know you have your, you're invested in many companies and sort of what's your lens? Because you're not in the heart of it um, as much as, 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 I mean, I guess you are, but you're not at IQV is what I'm trying to say. Um, how do you see sort of, this whole acceleration of trials, acceleration of drug development? Well, I mean, I think people see it as a strategic imperative. And so, you know, clearly, you know, it's on their mind. And as Greg said, you know, you had tendrils of this going back a ways in certain areas like, say, dermatology, a virtual trial was not thought to be that amazing. Um, but in areas where they're thought to be more high risk, um, and more complicated, obviously, they, they were slower to move. And so obviously, you know, we basically support people like Greg who are trying to get, you know, their stakeholders to move just a little bit faster to meet these strategic imperatives and to get them comfortable. And I, uh, one of the things I'll steal from Greg, uh, which he would have said if you'd asked him the question, is a lot of this is explaining to people that they're not taking a risk they're mitigating a risk. Yeah. Doing nothing is the risky decision. Doing something 
is risk mitigating. And, and that's the mindset that I think you basically have to communicate to people is you're there to help them mitigate risk. Yeah. So, so, so Greg, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, when, do you think this is this, you know, we talk about vaccines for, for COVID-19 almost every day in the newspaper, probably more than every day, uh, you know, everything from it will be ready before the election to no chance to what? So, um, clearly, there's a focus on this sector like never before. Um, do you think, I mean, because do you think this is accelerated forever? I mean, we will learn new ways of doing things. We're going to break the cultural barriers. We'll break down whatever inertia they used to be. And, you know, a year or two from now, when we're past this, when we return to sort of normal life, whatever that means, this will be a permanently accelerated process? I, I think there will be large portions of it that will be permanently accelerated. I think some of it will probably fall back a bit. Uh, but when you look at, at the things that we're doing, virtual trials are no longer uh, a novel thing. They're a thing that we do for almost every product, and we look at ways to take advantages from virtual trial environments to other types of trials. Okay. So there are some things that we still need patients to go to clinics for. There are yep. some things that we still need uh, different types of patients in different places. But there are lots of places where we can start to gather data from the home in ways we didn't before. So there's, there's a lot that's changing there, a lot of which will be permanent, some of which will probably fall back to old patterns, but all of which will leave us with a better environment tomorrow than we have today. That's, that's great. Um, let's, um, let, let's switch to, so I have a question for Ben. One of the things that doesn't sort of get talked about very much is the authenticity of medication. Uh, and, you know, growing up in India, this was a huge issue and perhaps less of an issue here, though I'm not so sure. Uh, and the, and, the, and the, the question is, you know, especially at a time like this, when people are, at least some people are very eager to get a vaccine developed quickly, there's always going to be some, unfortunately, unscrupulous operators uh, who will try and exploit this. Uh, you know, and the Internet certainly makes that easier. How is your company working on sort of being able to validate and authenticate sort of medications. But before I let you answer, to the audience, if you could start posting your questions because I'll turn to them pretty quickly. Ben? Sure. Uh, what I would say, first of all, is that when you talk to participants in the pharmaceutical supply chain, the general perception is that uh, in Europe is that the supply chain in India is bad. And in the U.S., we say the supply chain in Europe is bad. And in the U.S., I think the FDA has issued a letter saying that they don't think everything is quite so good either. So essentially, there are some challenges. We participated in an FDA pilot. Uh, and I think what the general reports were that the um, error rates were in the 8 to 50 percent range in terms of verification of drugs. Doesn't mean that they weren't legit. It just means they weren't able to figure out if they were. Mm -hmm. And so obviously the FDA is front and center in leading this effort with what's called the DSCSA of trying to do that. Our role as a vendor is to support that by, as you point out, authenticating the trading partners, meaning are these legitimately licensed people, licensed pharmacists? You know, are they real manufacturers? validation of the messages amongst those trading partners, verification of the drugs, and then finally auditability of all those transactions and looking and screening for duplicates and things like that that would 
allow us to cluster a series of suspicious activities. So that's kind of the picture, but you're absolutely right. It's all about being able to authenticate these things over a distance. And nowadays it's global. Many, many of the drugs that we're taking in the U.S. are coming from China, India, other places that are making fantastic drugs. But obviously there's a lot of opportunity for bad agents to jump into the middle. So we have a question from the audience. Uh, how are you balancing between speed and regulations uh, combined with the uncertainty of how long this pandemic, for example, might last and profitability? So there's all these trade-offs that you have to win. Greg, perhaps you can take that one. I'll start with this speed versus regulation. There, there was something um, fantastic that many of the regulatory authorities did worldwide, uh, and that was as it became clear that we were going to have to change the nature of a lot of trials that were running because patients couldn't come to sites, they allowed us the freedom of changing first and reporting to them what we've done later. Okay. This was unprecedented. So it allowed us to have some freedoms around how we would do things. We still needed to do the right thing. We still needed to meet regulation, but we could talk about what we did afterwards. And that dealt with some of the uncertainty as well. What's always uncertain for us in trials is how the regulators are going to respond to what we've done. Well, that gave us some, some assurance that things would change a little. Uh, and in terms of profitability, um, I, I would say that that's more of a challenge for some of the sponsors of trials than it is a, a challenge for CROs right now. Sure. Uh, that's not to say that we haven't had an impact. We have. Uh, every, every company I know has had some impact. Uh, but we've had both positive and negative impacts, so it's difficult to say where, where in the end it's all going to come out. Uh, but what we've done is transition to as much of these new capabilities as we can to ensure that the fragility of the, the data pipeline, as we refer to it, uh, is as sure as it can be. Okay, so here's a $64,000 question that everybody's been wanting to ask, which is coming from our audience. In your opinion as experts, uh, when do you think a COVID-19 vaccine will be generally available in the U.S., if ever? Wow, that's, I hope it's not the if ever part. <laughs> so um, 15 seconds, less than 15 seconds each. I don't think any of us are qualified to answer that, but I, I would say that, that as, as we're coming to uh, the checkpoints in, in a couple of these trials, we'll know whether or not those, those drugs are at least modestly effective and we'll be able to make some decisions, and that looks like it'll be somewhere close to the end of the year. Uh, but I, I can't make comment on many of them, in part because we're running some of those trials, and in part because I simply don't have the right view. And Ben, 15 seconds. Yeah, I mean, that would be terrific, and we should all be enormously grateful if our first responders get a vaccination by the spring of next year. But again, that's all uh, very much a hope and on a wing and a prayer. Right. So thank you both for great comments. And in particular, thank you so much for being leaders in sort of something that is so important to all of us at this difficult time. So we really appreciate the work that your companies are doing. And we really appreciate what you do and taking the time to be here with our audience. Thank you again. Uh, and thanks, thank you. thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Leadership in the Digital Age. Hope you will follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at UCI underscore CDT or on our YouTube channel, UCI Center for Digital Transformation. Please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to give us a review. I'm 
Until next time.